There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What's up, guys? Week number eight of the 2023 NFL season is upon us. Uh, this episode will release on Thursday, so later tonight, the uh, Bills and the uh, Buccaneers will kick off the week eight schedule. And strangely, uh, we had six teams on the bye, so we had as like, and then usually that's the most that you'll ever see uh, on a bye week. Uh, so we had the fewest games that we could possibly have last week with 13. But for whatever reason, this week, week eight, Nobody's off. Everybody's playing, so we got 16 games once again, which means we got a full slate of six games in the pick six this week. We got a few news and notes. We got to go over our pick standings, and we got the all-out blitz. We got tons to get to, so let's go ahead and get started. This is the Week 8 preview episode of the fourth phase, so let's get started. <laughs> Welcome to the fourth phase presented by Bears Talk Underground and Sports Drink Media. And now your host, Larry D. Why don't we just go ahead and dive right into the uh, news and notes since we got uh, a lot here uh, that I want to talk about. First things first. Uh, He finished the game on Monday night, but on the flight home, Brock Purdy, quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers, uh, I think they said as soon as like as early as on the plane ride back from Minnesota, started to show a uh, concussion symptoms. And sure enough, he is in concussion protocol and is um, I well, I I don't think I haven't read anyone where they said that he was doubtful, but uh, uncertain is the word that I've seen. Uh, several times uh, as far as uh, who's going to be the starting quarterback for the Niners on Sunday against the Bengals. And uh, without Purdy, it would be Sam Darnold uh, coming in off the bench because, as we know, the Niners traded Trey Lance to the Cowboys, so he's not an option uh, for them. But uh, it's an interesting turn of events. They said it happened uh, during the game, and I guess he didn't show signs or was mum about how he was feeling or whatever the situation was. But I, I saw a, a post on on uh, on X or Twitter or whatever we're calling it these days, uh, saying that um, here's the difference between how he played before he got hit and how he played after. And of course, after is when the two interceptions took place, the last of which cost the 49ers uh, the game. So uh, Purdy may or may not play on Sunday, and from what I'm hearing, it's not looking good. And it looks like Sam Donald's going to get his, uh, I believe, his first start as a quarterback for the 49ers uh, against the Bengals. And it's an important game uh, for the Niners. They've lost two in a row. And, uh, you know, Cincinnati was coming off the bye. Uh, They've won three out of their last four and, uh, you know, uh, looking to take advantage. And and San Francisco's at home, so they have that uh, going for them. But uh, 
Purdy's been magic for him, even though he's lost the last two games after starting his career like 12 or 13-0 and 0, uh, as a starter. But um, interesting times ahead for the 49ers, especially if they have to go without Purdy uh, on Sunday. Uh, read an interesting article about the NFL installing a hybrid field for the games in Germany starting next weekend, first with the Chiefs and the Dolphins, and then a week later the Patriots and the Colts will play on a hybrid uh, field. And it says uh, the hybrid surfaces are widely used across Europe in soccer stadiums. And uh, after the game in Germany last year between the Buccaneers and the Seahawks, uh, a lot of players complaining about sliding and slipping uh, all over the field on a natural grass surface. And in fact, the, the field was so damaged after the game, they had to replace it uh, after uh, afterwards. So um, they're thinking of using a, a hybrid uh, field. It says systems vary, but fields are generally 90% or more natural grass with synthetic fibers woven into them as reinforcements. So a 90-10 split, I don't... I, I guess you can call that hybrid. Uh, when I think hybrid, I think 50-50, but that's just me. Um, but, yeah, so I guess maybe having the uh, the extra um, synthetic fibers and, and everything maybe help with, with better grip. And But hopefully, since the field is majority uh, grass, the, uh, the probability of injury would be uh, lessened uh, a bit. But we'll see how it all turns out. Of course, uh, field services have been a hot topic since – Aaron Rodgers tore his uh, Achilles four plays into his career as a New York Jet uh, quarterback, and all the hope and hype surrounding the Jets this year was dashed inside the first few minutes of the first quarter of week one. So, yeah, it, it's been a, a heavy debate uh, amongst the Players Association, along with fans and so on uh, and so forth. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll see uh, what this is because, you know, this is kind of a uh, – touchy subject when it comes to surfaces and, and uh, what's available and uh, going overseas and playing on these unfamiliar fields. Uh, it's, uh, it's imperative that they have the best playing surface uh, available. So uh, in uh, transaction news, uh, Frank Clark being reunited uh, with the Seattle Seahawks. There was a lot of talk uh, after he got cut by the Broncos last week that he would resign with the uh, Chiefs, that's who we played for uh, last year. Uh, but he became a uh, free agent this past season and was a free agent, like, think well into the offseason before signing a one-year, like, $5.5 million deal uh, with the Broncos. He was somebody that, that I, you know, kind of out of all the pass rushers, it was like Frank Clark, Yannick Ngakwe uh, that I wanted to see the Bears uh, possibly sign. We got Ngakwe. And who hasn't been bad? He hasn't been great either. But you know, he's uh, he's out there. And um, but Frank Clark decided in turn to reunite with his original team. Uh, he was drafted by the Seahawks back in 2015, 2016. He was a second round pick for him. Yeah, second round pick in 2015, and was traded to the Chiefs shortly before the 2019 season for a package that included a first and second round pick. Now he comes back home to. Uh, to join Bobby Wagner and nose tackle Jaron Reed, who also returned uh, to the Seahawks uh, this year. And uh, Pete Carroll was saying that he thinks that uh, Frank Clark hasn't, isn't in the building as of Wednesday, so he didn't practice today with the team, but thinking that he would uh, you know, start practicing tomorrow on Thursday or today on Thursday and uh, be ready for the game 
on Sunday when the Seahawks take on the um, Browns. That's going to be a big game uh, for both of those teams. So Frank Clark going back to his original NFL home uh, in Seattle to help them out with their pass rush, which is important, especially after they lost Uchenna and Wosu uh, for the season, I believe with a pectoral injury, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And then before we get to our uh, Pick'em news, uh, we got two more stories to uh, talk about. First one is kind of somber, but it's one that I've been kind of keeping an eye on, especially since it's kind of local uh, for me. Sergio Brown, a, a former NFL uh, player, a defensive back who played for uh, New England, the Colts, the Falcons, Jaguars, and Bills uh, in his time from 2010 to 2016, uh, was arrested uh, for uh, allegedly uh, killing, charged with killing his mother. Um, he apparently murdered his mom, left her body in a park somewhere in Maywood, Illinois, where they were living uh, at the time and then got a one-way ticket to Cancun, Mexico, the very next day. Um, yeah, that doesn't look good. Not to mention that he was seen burning fabric that was believed to be her clothing, um, also by eyewitnesses uh, and things like that. He's detained until his next court date, which would be November uh, 22nd. Uh, yeah, he's uh, from, he went to Proviso West, which is just outside uh, Chicago. And a medical examiner ruled her death a homicide and determined she'd been injured during an assault. She was 73 years old. Sergio Brown, 35, seemingly life is now over for Sergio. I hope he enjoyed his time in Cancun because it's uh, sounds like that's it for him. So the only the only the only uh, light that he has is that there are no direct there's no direct evidence. There's no eyewitnesses to the actual crime, it's all circumstantial. So if he's got a good lawyer, he might have a shot knowing our legal system uh, and whatnot. But uh, otherwise, he's uh, he's uh, he's up, you know what, creek without a paddle uh, right now. So I don't know why I brought that up. Like I said, it's it, more more like because it's, it's close to me. Maywood, Illinois is not very far from where I am right now uh, in northwest Indiana. But, uh, yeah. So not exactly how you want to see your uh, your home area represented, uh, you know, for the guy to make it to the heights of, you know, of, of an athlete, especially for a football player to make it in the NFL. And no, he didn't have a memorable career. I had no idea who Sergio Brown was until this story, uh, story came up. But, uh, you know, he was in the league for seven seasons, 2010 to 2016. That's seven seasons. And, you know, it's, uh, it's a shame. So, but anyway... Um, on a more happy note, the NFL announcing their AFC-NFC Players of the Week this week. On the AFC side, Offensive Player of the Week, Lamar Jackson for the Baltimore Ravens. 357 yards, four touchdowns, and a 155.8 passer rating in the Ravens' 38-6 demolishing of the Detroit Lions on Sunday. And then the Defensive and Special Teams Player of the Week both go to Cleveland Browns. Miles Garrett, defensive end for the Browns, uh, nine tackles, two sacks, two forced fumbles, and, of course, that freakish athletic move to dump directly over the offensive line and block that field goal uh, on Sunday as the, the Browns eked one out over the Colts, 39-38 to 38 on Sunday. And then Dustin Hopkins, the kicker for Cleveland, 3-for-3 three three on PATs, 4-for-4 four four on field goals for 15 points, which obviously is a decent chunk of the points scored by the Browns. 
on Sunday. On the NFC side, Offensive Player of the Week, A.J. Brown, the wide receiver for the Eagles, 10 catches, 137 yards, and a touchdown in their 31-17 win over the Dolphins on Sunday Night Football. Defensive Player of the Week, Cameron Bynum, safety for the Vikings, uh, who had nine tackles and two interceptions, including the game winner uh, in their upset win 22-17 to over the 49ers on Monday Night Football. And the Special Teams Player of the Week, Yang Wei Koo, kicker for the Falcons, one for one on the PATs, but three for three on field goals, including the game winner from 51 yards out for 10 points to give the Falcons the uh, win over the, uh, I think it was 16-13 over the Buccaneers to claim first place in the NFC South. And then finally, to wrap things up here in our news and notes, we will uh, come in with our uh, pick standings here. And interesting week we all had. You know, it, it, it was uh, our, our, our winner for the week, Bear Down Omaha, 53 points. I was just looking at his picks. He went 9-4, and four, and like the rest of us, the picks that he got wrong, he got uh, he put 13 on Buffalo. That went wrong. He put 6 on the Rams. Don't know what you were thinking about there, dude. But he went 6 points on the Rams. Lost. He went 9 points on the Buccaneers. I mean, I picked the Bucs too, but I didn't go that heavy on them. Um, so the four games that he lost were 13, 6, 9, and then he put 10 on the 49ers. And that's what, uh, you know, that's why, you know, he, he lost so many points, but yet he still did better. Then the rest of us, I mean, hell, the next closest person to 53 was me at 43. Me and Irish Mafia had 43 points uh, on Sunday. I went 6-7 and seven, uh, with my picks on Sunday. And, um, you know, the six games I lost, I picked the Raiders over the Bears, but that only cost me two points. I picked the Bills over the New England, and that cost me 11 I picked Washington over the Giants, but that cost me three. So I, I kind of got nickeled and dimed my way down. I put four on Tampa to beat Atlanta. Uh, the, where I got hurt was I picked Detroit to beat Baltimore, but I put nine on the Lions. I lost six picking Green Bay over Denver. And then, of course, I went all in on San Francisco over Minnesota. So as far as like, for me, it was volume that ended up hurting me. Because, you know, the, the games that I lost outside of San Francisco and uh, uh, Buffalo, who I put 13 and 11 points on, you know, I mean, yeah, nine points from the Lions that, losing that game, that hurts. But it was two, three, four, six were the, were the other four losses uh, that I had uh, there. So, I mean, it, for me, it was volume. The amount of games I lost ended up hurting me. For uh for Bear Down Omaha it was uh the amount or the amount of points uh that he lost in his losses. So yeah, thirteen, ten, nine, and six. So fifteen and thirteen is twenty eight plus ten is thirty eight plus fifty three would be ninety one. So that yeah, ninety one points was the was the top. And it was uh yeah. The the winner for the week barely got more than half of those points. It's like I think if if we averaged all these scores We'd be somewhere in the 30s uh, for the uh, for a group. So yeah, interesting week. The the upsets. I mean, and, and it's not a surprise. I mean, if you listen to the review show, 
the NFL entered the the season or entered the week with five one-win teams, and only one of them failed to win a game on Sunday. The Bears, the Patriots, the Giants, and the Dol- and the Broncos were all one and five. They all exited the week two and five. They won their games, and they were all upsets too. So yeah, those were those games hurt just about everybody uh, this past week. So. Congrats to Bear Down Omaha for uh, being the Week 7 champion, uh, if you will. Uh, our standings are largely unaffected. Uh, Fields of Dreams did get his lead back. He is now one point ahead of uh, JoJo. And JoJo, thank you for <laughs> designated. It says JoJo Dash, not a girl. So, yeah. All right. Well, JoJo, you can take that down if you want. Now that we know, it won't, it won't be him, her anymore. It will be him. Jojo, because you him, bro. But you're number two at 598, only one point behind uh, Fields of Dreams. So you guys could be piggybacking each other over and over again for the rest of the season. S. Van Horn in third place at 566. Afalava in fourth at 564. Uh, Fields of Dream at, at top with 71 and 35. So his, his win loss record is unmatched up to this point. Uh, Jojo at 69 and 37. Both S. Van Horn and Afalava at 63. And 43, as is uh, number five, Decatur Staley's. But his 63 and 43 has only gotten him 551 points. Uh, my man McCubin at number six at 551, but 61 and 45 puts him behind the Decatur Staley's. Myself and Irish Mafia tied at 547, but thanks to their record being one game better than mine, they are in seventh. I am in eighth place. So, you know what, guys? Fields of Dreams, JoJo? I'm coming for you because uh, last week the deficit was in the 60s. Now it's only 52. 52 to Fields of Dreams, 51 for JoJo. I'm coming for you, dudes. That's, that's it. I mean, I only got 19 points, and I'm in third place uh, over S. Van Horn and whatnot. And it's, I'm, I'm, I'm staying I'm, uh, last week aside, but we all had a bad week last week. I'm, I'm, I'm peaking. I'm coming. I'm coming for you guys. I, I got better as the, as the season went along last year. Uh, as well. So uh, number nine, Tanyoka at 546 on his 64 and 42 record and rounding out the top 10 Agent Orange jerseys at 63 and 43. So um, I'm making my points count, man, because I've got the worst record in the top 10, but I'm number eight at 60 and 46. So uh, yeah, I'm getting it done. I'm coming for you guys. I'm coming. You just don't know. You just don't know. I'm, I'm nipping at your heels and you're not going to like it when I get there. So Anyway, guys, that's going to do it for news and notes. Congrats to Fields of Dreams getting his lead back. But JoJo's nipping at your heels at 598, only one point behind. And uh, then you got a 30-point gap between S. Van Horn and JoJo for two to three. So a little, little bit of a race before we can get to number one, but I'm coming. I am coming. So anyway, guys, that's going to do it for news and notes. Let's go ahead and dive into our pick six. We got 16 games, so that means we got six games to get to in the pick six. Pick six for week number eight. We will start in Green Bay with the Vikings and the Packers. Vikings at three and four. Green Bay at two and four. Uh, Came off the bye last week to lose uh, to the uh, Broncos in Denver uh, on Sunday in a tight one. 19 to 17 the final uh the 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 Packers were trying to uh 
take the or go for the win uh, and everything. And uh, from what I understand, Jordan Love making a gaff uh, at the end of the game. There, he had a guy underneath that probably could have gotten him a first down. Instead, he went for the big play downfield and got picked off uh, by PJ Locke to end their drive and in in uh, in turn the game uh, as well. So. The Packers have lost four out of their five since beating my beloved Chicago Bears week one in embarrassing fashion. Uh, So thank you for that, guys. And uh, then they dropped down into reality to become the team that everybody thought they were going to be at least this season. The transition from Aaron Rodgers to uh, an inexperienced quarterback, even though he was entering his fourth year, having sat on the bench for three years behind Rodgers from 2021 to 2022. But uh, this is more the team that we thought we were going to see out of Green Bay. Uh, not necessarily a bad team, but struggling at times and the inexperience of love coming back to hurt them from time to time as this transition was being worked through. So uh, in and this past Sunday's game against Denver being a big um, big example of, of what they were talking about. I don't think Rodgers would have gone for it all on that play he probably would have taken in that moment, especially when hanging on to the ball is so important uh, and everything. I think they had plenty of time on the clock, maybe had some timeouts and uh, and what have you. He would have taken the, the shorter route and uh, lived to fight another play, and instead Jordan Love goes for hero ball, gets picked off, and it costs Green Bay uh, the game. So, yeah, they, they've got that one win against the Saints in week three, where they probably would have lost if Derek Carr had uh, been able to finish the game. Instead, they put on that big fourth quarter comeback uh, and win, and that w- and they've lost three straight since then. Um, so, including you know Monday night before their uh, bye week, they lose in Vegas to the Raiders, and then they got beat by uh, Denver this past Sunday. So, things looking rough out in uh, Green Bay, and, and granted, they've got some injuries. They lost Bakhtiari for the season with that knee injury that can't seem to figure itself out. Um, and uh, they've had some other injuries up and down uh, the lineup, including I think they had to reshuffle the line during the game against Denver uh, this past Sunday uh, as well. The Vikings, on the other hand, kind of riding high. They were 1-4 before they came into Soldier Field last week and uh, blitzed their way to victory over the Bears and uh, knocked Justin Fields out of the game uh, to boot, uh, getting that win uh, over my beloved. And then this past Monday night, they shocked the world by beating the 49ers uh, in Monday Night Football. And, and and it wasn't one of those, like, fluke wins, but it's like, granted, the 49ers did, no, did themselves no favors, uh, fumbling the ball early in the game. They missed the field goal at one point. And then at, in the fourth quarter, when they're trying to retake the lead, only down five points, Brock Purdy throws back-to-back interceptions uh to end uh the games so it's uh you know the the 49ers made plenty of mistakes but for the last two weeks minnesota's defense has been really really good especially against the 49ers a team averaging about 33 points uh a game held to 17 uh for the last two weeks uh last week by the browns this week by the um by the vikings themselves so uh, we'll talk about the 49ers a little bit later, or at least we'll touch upon them in the, in the all-out blitz. But, uh, yeah, they've got – oh, and actually, they're, they're pick six game. What am I talking about? We'll talk about them here in a few minutes. But, you know, it's, it's, it, what a difference a couple of weeks uh, can make. 
you know, uh, a couple of weeks ago, it's, uh, you know, maybe some quiet rumblings about Kevin O'Connell and his future and uh, like, oh, yeah, well, I mean, this is what happens when you win 11 one-score games. Your your luck is going to turn because, I mean, I think they're like seven. Well, last week's game against the Bears is a one-score game, 22 to 17. That's a one-score game against the the 49ers. So seven weeks in, they played seven one-score games uh, once again, and they're three and four now, which is, I think, probably more in line with where I thought Minnesota would be at this point in the uh, in the season. But I guess they just took a different path to get there uh, than I would have uh, originally expected. But it's like there's there's no way they're going to be able to keep that up uh, uh, for a second season in a row to have that many one score games and to always be the team that comes out uh, on top. The the odds of that are outstanding you know they're just i mean amazing or whatever but yeah so the vikings they've got some injuries on the team uh ezra cleveland they're starting right guard left guard one of their guards is questionable uh so is tj hawkinson he left the game early uh he tried to, i think he was in and out of the lineup on monday against the uh, 49ers uh with a leg injury uh and like i said the 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 packers uh, Eggleton uh, Jenkins, uh, Josh uh, Nijman, uh, offensive tackle, Josh Myers, their starting center, uh, to go along with Devondre Campbell and, and Jair Alexander, all on the uh, injury report uh, for him. And those are, aside from that Yosh uh, Nijman, who I, I personally have never heard of, Josh Myers, Jenkins, Devondre Campbell, Jair Alexander, those are the household names uh, for the Packers. So that's uh, those are guys they need. And right now, they're either out or banged up or, you know, playing hurt. And uh, Jordan Love, who started out with uh, the first two games of the season, six touchdowns, zero interceptions in the last five weeks, four weeks, because they've only played six games, uh, four touchdowns, seven interceptions, and including the dagger that killed him on Sunday against the uh, Broncos. Kirk Cousins is playing like Kirk Cousins already thrown for – over 2,000 yards, 16 touchdowns, five in, only five interceptions. Even though Justin Jefferson is out, he's still the leading receiver for the Vikings up at this point, 571 yards in five games because he didn't play against the Bears. So five games, averaging over 100 yards receiving. He's only got three touchdowns uh, and whatnot. So, But, uh, you know, all due respect to Justin Jefferson, they haven't really missed him. You know, because I'm sure that he would have brought a lot to the table against the Bears last week and probably even more so against the 49ers this past week. But that first-round pick of theirs, Jordan Addison from uh, USC, has been filling in quite admirably. He had a touchdown catch against the Bears last week, and he had two uh, against the uh, 49ers on Sunday, including a uh, a play where he kind of redeemed himself. Because in, uh, in the first quarter, I think actually on their first drive, something like that, uh, Kirk Cousins uh, throws the ball, and uh, Addison and a defensive back, I think it was Chavarius Ward, were fighting over the ball. Ward comes down with it for an interception. Same thing happens later in the game. Just before halftime, the 49ers come on an all-out blitz. Uh, Cousins gets the ball off to Addison, who was fighting with, I think it was Ward. I'm, I'm sure it was. Uh, fighting for the ball, only this time, Addison comes away with it, and because of the blitz, there was nobody there to stop Jordan Addison. He went 60 yards for a touchdown and ended up being a huge score uh, for the Vikings. 
you could say it was the score that won him uh, the game because it sent him into the into the break up by 11 instead of 4 or 10. It was 17, 16 to 6 or something like that. Uh, at halftime, instead of you know ten to six or something like that, it was uh, it was a huge, huge play uh, for them. And uh, you know Addison has been making things uh, happen. And like I said, the defense has been uh, suffocating lately. You know, with the uh, Brian Brian Flores, much like uh, my def- my uh, head coach Matt Eberflus, who has been calling our defensive play since week two, has seemed to really get his feet. Underneath them, the Bears have been playing outstanding defense the last three weeks, and it really kind of seems like Brian Flores, um, the D.C. for the Vikings, uh, is doing the same thing, especially the last two weeks against the Bears and uh, the uh, especially against the 49ers. You know, it was like, granted, the 49ers were without Trent Williams uh, and Debo Samuel, but they still had Christian McCaffrey. They still had George Kittle. They still had Brandon Ayuk. Uh, so they had weapons uh, at, uh, at their disposal for Purdy. Uh, and everything, but the defense uh, did enough to disrupt and uh, keep the uh, 49ers at bay, hold them to 17 points, and come away with the win. And that's actually why I love uh, Minnesota this weekend. I don't know how many points I'm going to put on them uh, just yet, but if uh, if I had to pick somebody to win this game on Sunday between the uh, Vikings and the Packers, and even it's a divisional matchup, um, Minnesota's got a thing about winning in Lambeau uh, as well. So, I mean, I especially like uh, like them to win on Sunday over Green Bay. The Giants and the Jets. Here's an interesting matchup because there was some jawing and back and forth going on in the uh, their annual preseason uh, matchup. And unfortunately, they're not going to be able to do much about uh, answering for that because the guy that was doing a lot of the talking was Aaron Rodgers, and of course he's not going to play in this game uh, on Sunday. He might be in attendance, but uh, he won't be uh, playing uh, on Sunday. But uh, both teams coming off wins. The Jets uh, two weeks ago with that upset over the uh, Eagles. A huge win for them in the uh, Meadowlands coming off beating uh, Denver the week before. So they're actually on a two-game win streak right now, and the Giants snapped a four-game losing streak uh, by beating the Commanders 14-7 to uh, in, uh, in, uh, in, in New York as well. So, you know, even though this is essentially a home game for both teams, the Giants will be the home team, uh, in this one. Uh, it's like, I, I think the Jets are the better team here. The, the thing you got to keep an eye on is the last two weeks, that Giants defense has been really, really good. Holding the commanders to seven points last week, uh, and, uh, the week before, holding Buffalo to 14 points, even even in a losing effort. They only gave up 14 points to the Bills, uh, who are very good at scoring points, <laughs> and uh, almost came away with the, uh, with the win uh, two weeks ago. And, uh, you know, we're able, almost snapped that losing streak against Buffalo on Sunday Night Football. Uh, the first non-embarrassing uh, national TV appearance for the Giants, who had three very bad ones. Uh, to start off the uh, year. At least this was a respectable loss to a good uh, football team. And uh, last week, not very productive on offense again. You know, only nine points against the Bills two weeks ago, only 14 uh, over the uh, Commanders this past Sunday. So that offense still tends to be uh, an issue with or without Daniel Jones in the lineup, and the jury's still out on him, whether or not he'll be back from that neck injury to play 
uh, this weekend. Uh, Tyrod Taylor played well against Buffalo, and he helped him get the win last week against the uh, Commanders. Uh, uh, Saquon Barkley is back in the uh, lineup after missing in a few games with with either like a hamstring or an ankle. One of the two was a lower leg uh, injury. But it's like I just think that the Jets have a bit more firepower here. You know, they have Garrett Wilson. They have Brees Hall. They have um, um, who's their tight end? Owozu, the one from the uh, Bengals, uh, to go along with, you know, uh, Alan Lazard and Randall Cobb. And, uh, you know, the offensive line seems to be stepping up a little bit better. And then, you know, they had the defense. Quincy Williams, Quinnen Williams, uh, Sauce Gardner, uh, and others, uh, you know, adding to a uh, a very formidable defense, one that gave the Eagles a ton of fits and uh, did a lot in helping the the, the Jets win that game uh, on the on the, on TV a couple of weeks ago. And uh, you know, Zach Wilson, he's not lighting up the scoreboard by any stretch of the imagination. He's barely over a thousand yards. Four touchdowns and five picks on the season, but it seems like the mistakes are coming way down. You know, I the it's like he it was all interceptions and no touchdowns in the beginning in those bad losses uh, to to Dallas uh, when they lost like forty one to ten. They got beat by the Patriots fifteen to ten uh, and things like that. And and it looked like Robert Sala might lose the locker room because he kept defending uh, Zach Wilson. Well. In the last couple of weeks, uh, starting with that uh, that loss to the Chiefs, Zach Wilson played really well uh, in that game and followed that up with the win in Denver uh, over the Broncos. And now this, uh, you know, then followed that up by beating the Eagles uh, in the Meadowlands. And now they're coming off a two-week break uh, to come in and, and face their in-town rival in the, uh, in the New York Giants. And... Um, you know, I, I like the I like the Jets uh, to win this one because it's it's not like oh the Jets got to win a tough one on the road. It's like no, they'll just have the field painted to say the Giants, but they're on their home turf too. I mean, I I, I don't know what kind of turnout these kind of games get as far as like how divided uh, the the uh, the fan bases are actually are in the stadium when uh, the Jets and the Giants play in their own stadium uh, against one another. But uh, it should make for some interesting uh, television on Sunday when these two teams get together. But I'm taking the Jets over the Giants. Jacksonville at Pittsburgh. Both of these teams have won four of their last five, and ironically, um, both of those teams' one loss in that stretch is to Houston. So, uh, yeah, the Pittsburgh had won two, then they lost to Houston and have won two games since. Uh, The Jaguars, on the other hand, lost the game five weeks ago and have won four straight. To go from one and two to five and two, including their nail biter over the uh, Saints this past Thursday, and um, they're they're playing really really good football uh, right now. You know they they're they've really kind of started to uh, buckle down uh, on defense at times, being opportunistic with the turnovers uh, and whatnot. But they you know they haven't beaten any slouches. You know you got the the Falcons in here. They beat the Bills over in the UK. They uh they beat the Colts the way you're supposed to beat uh, a team like the Colts thirty seven to twenty so they went running away uh, from the Colts and then on the road on a short week on Thursday night football they almost let the game get away with them they were up twenty four to nine going into the fourth quarter 
let it get tied at 24 before they took the lead with about three minutes to go at 31, uh, 24, and then, uh, held on in the, uh, in the red zone or at more specifically in the end zone, uh, four shots from the six yard line. The saints weren't able to, uh, get it in there. They got lucky on one play because, uh, the, the saints won the play, but dropped the ball because, uh, Pete Carmichael, the offensive coordinator for the uh, for the Saints, calls the perfect play, where both the the both defenders at the at the goal line go with Michael Thomas as he makes an out route to the to the front pylon, leaving Foster Moreau on a corner route to the back pylon was wide open. Derek Carr put it where you got to put it, bounced right off his hands, incomplete, and then they couldn't get it uh, converted on fourth down for the win. That third down play was New Orleans' best shot at uh, either tying or going for the win uh, on the two-pointer if uh, if they'd scored there. But came up just short uh, in that one and, you know, gave the Jaguars their fourth straight uh, win. And they've got a couple of really interesting games here. But it, this is the only game they're playing for the in this 23-day period because they had 10 days from the Thursday nighter last week to uh, this Sunday when they play the Steelers, and then they're on a bye week before they play the 49ers on November 12th. And uh, so that's uh, be like a 23-day, 24-day period uh, between the Jaguars and the Saints and the Jaguars and the 49ers, and they only play one game uh, in that time. So this one, they, they want to make it count, especially going into the bye and having two weeks to prepare for the 49ers. And that will be a, a noon game at home in Florida, you know, in Jacksonville. So big, big game. And, you know, if they can win those games and be 7-2 and two after that, that'd be starting to shove the Jags to the top of the uh, – or to the top edge of the uh, power rankings because they just keep finding a way uh, to win football games. I mean, Doug Peterson is doing a fantastic job out there in Jacksonville uh, and getting this team uh, to where – I mean, I think everybody kind of picked – Jacksonville to be that first place team this year, but with them kind of barely eking it out last year at like nine and eight uh, and everything, didn't know how much of an improvement it would be. It's like, okay, maybe we get into double digits, 10 and seven uh, this year, but they're already halfway there uh, with more than half the season uh, left to go. And after this Steelers 49ers run, they have division games against the Titans and the Texans. They got a matchup with the Bengals and the Browns. And they got the Ravens, the Bucks, the Panthers, and the Titans again to close out the year. It's it's not a daunting schedule, especially since they have the good fortune of being in the AFC South, not the strongest division that the NFL has to offer uh, this year or for the last few years, quite frankly. The Texans are an upstart right now, and they've already beaten Jacksonville, so that'll be one that Jacksonville's got circled on their calendar. But they got to take care of the task at hand in the Steelers, who, uh, you know, <laughs> are kind of inexplicably 4-2. I mean, this team is, uh, you know, the first – their two losses have been horrific. Week one against the 49ers, they are absolutely just drubbed on their home field 30-7. to Then they go – then they have the Browns come into town and somehow walk away with that one. I did not see that coming, especially with the way they got handled – by the 49ers the week before. Then they go on the road and beat the Raiders. Not the biggest surprise. Then they go at the Texans and just get marauded by the 30-6. to 
and the Texans, you know, win their first game uh, over the Steelers, and they've kind of been on a run since then. But two weeks ago against the Ravens, they're at home, and they're just having a god-awful game, especially on offense. I mean, they are really, really struggling. But for the Ravens, for one reason or another, thanks to that Steeler defense, are also struggling and, uh, you know, can't uh, score enough points to put them away and then find themselves up 10 to 6 in the final like minute or two of the ball game. Kenny Pickett finds George Pickens down the sidelines for a 41-yard touchdown. Next thing you know, the Steelers are winning this thing. Then when the Ravens are trying to come back to, uh, you know, to put a drive of their own together to try to win the game, get the ball on the turnover, <laughs> kick another field goal to make it 17 to 10 and kind of walk away with the win. Uh, on that one, and then this past Sunday uh, against the Rams was uh, you know kind of back and forth, and it was it wasn't until the fourth quarter that the uh, that the Steelers kind of finally snapped out of it, scored 14 points there uh, in the fourth quarter to uh, put the game away. But going into the fourth quarter, they're le- they're losing 17 to 10 against the team in the Rams that's not been playing very good football, or at least not on a consistent basis. So. You know, the Steelers are on very shaky ground uh, as far as I'm concerned and, and are like a 4-2 and two team that's either on its way or teetering on the edge as far as like, you know, just the, the results that I've seen. They're very inconsistent. They're getting it done. They've won more than they've lost, but when they've lost, it's been really, really bad. So, you know, I guess if the game is close and they're within striking distance, watch out for the Steelers. So I guess my advice for the Jaguars would be to try to do what you did against the uh Saints on Thursday and get out to a a big lead to where the the Steelers can't rely on the pass. You got to put the ball in Kenny Pickett's hands and that's going to shorten up the game for them. Um uh, and everything else uh get after uh Kenny Pickett be aggressive uh, on defense. But um even though this thing is in in Pittsburgh, and I'm probably going to regret this because I'm doubting the Steelers. And uh, whenever I doubt the Steelers, Mike Tomlin just scratches his chin and said, "Holds my hold my beer." And then they do things like, uh, you know, beat the Ravens at the last minute, or or beat the Browns, uh, you know, things like that. So uh, I'm, I'm picking the Jaguars. That's probably going to be one of my lower confidence points picks this week. But just looking at these two teams and keeping a close eye uh, on them. The team that I trust the most at this point is Jacksonville. So give me the Jaguars over the Steelers. Cincinnati at San Francisco. And we, we dabbled a bit on the 49ers when talking about the Vikings at the stop the start of the um, segment here. But at one time, San Francisco was the unquestioned number one team in the NFL. Now they've lost two straight. They lost uh, to the to the Browns last week, which wasn't so surprising. The Browns have an unbelievable defense, so f- f- we they've found a defense that could slow the 49ers down. But in the end, that's a game San Francisco should have won. They were in position. They had a makeable field goal, so it's not like the Moody had to kick a 60-yarder to try to win the game for the 49ers uh, two weeks ago. But, uh, you know, it, I think it was in the upper 30s, maybe low 40s. Uh, for the kick, but nonetheless, it went right, had all the leg, but he just hooked it wide right, and uh, the 49ers end up losing uh, that ball game. 
Then this past Monday against the Vikings, they kind of ramped it up with the mistakes. You heard me talk about it a little bit earlier. Moody missed another field goal in the first uh, first half. Uh, Christian McCaffrey fumbled the football to give it to uh, the 49 or excuse me, the, the Vikings. And then back-to-back interceptions when you're down by a score and you need a touchdown to uh, take the lead uh, and whatnot. It's like the, the 49ers have been tripping over their own feet these last two weeks, not to take anything away from Cleveland or Minnesota, especially Minnesota. Minnesota did more of the the actual beating of San Francisco than I feel like Cleveland did because Cleveland got a lot of help from the officials uh, in that game. That 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 unnecessary roughness penalty on Deshaun Gibson, that one still bothers me because it was basically the referee uh, throws the flag, steps to the center of the field, turns on the microphone and says, uh, unnecessary roughness, football player playing football, 15 yards, first down. You know, it's just like, it just, that's all I saw. That's what the, the, uh, 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 what's it, rules expert is what they call, uh, I think it's Terry McCauley for Fox. No, it's Blandino for Fox. He comes in, is like, no, that's uh, shoulder into body. That's not, that's not head first. They don't make helmet to helmet contact uh, or anything like that. And he's, you know, it wasn't, it really wasn't a defenseless receiver uh, shot either. So that's what was especially aggravating, but it propelled the, because that was third and 10. Cleveland was going to have to punt. And then the Niners would have likely run out the clock after that because they were winning 17 to 16 at that point. Instead, the uh, the Browns went down the field and got another bogus call on top of that uh, after after it gave them another first down. They kicked the field goal, take the lead, and then the 49ers missed their uh, attempt to uh, to win it. So, But the Vikings, on the other hand, they basically just attacked the 49ers, especially with Brian Flores and his blitz and, and coming after uh, Purdy uh, and company. They were missing Trent Williams and Debo Samuel, so they were a little shorthanded uh, in this one. But uh, they still had plenty of weapons to make things happen and just couldn't get it done uh, against the Vikings. The mistakes uh, were kind of overwhelming uh, in the end. And uh, the Bengals, on the other hand, have started started 0-2, which is unfortunately normal for them these last couple of seasons. But they, they've won three out of four since then, are coming off the bye where they won a big game over the Seahawks before uh, the bye at home where um, – you know, I called it more of a, a game that the that the Seahawks lost, but definitely the Bengals played a part there. They they made the stops they needed to make when uh, the when the Seahawks were down inside the red zone, looking to try to take the lead or, or win the game. Uh, at the end, uh, Geno Smith gets himself sacked on like fourth and six from the twelve or something like that, uh, and that's essentially what ended uh, the game. So the defense held firm. Uh, I think the the Seahawks had like a handful uh, of red zone trips and either didn't score anything or were settling for field goals uh, like four out of the five times uh, in those red zone trips. So they had plenty of opportunities, but the Bengals played bend but don't break defense and then got sturdy when it really counted uh, inside the uh, the red zone. So basically what I'm saying is these teams are trending in opposite directions and along with the news of Brock Purdy possibly being out this weekend with the uh, with the concussion uh, protocol, that uh, takes a, down another uh, peg. 
this game is in San Francisco. Uh, Christian McCaffrey is, you know, going to be healthy enough to play uh, at least. I think it's trending to, trending up to get Trent Williams back uh, this week at least, possibly even Debo Samuel uh, as well. Both are still on the – oh, no, it says right here, Debo Samuel is out. So he is out. Trent Williams is questionable though, so I think it looks good that he might play this week. That will definitely help with Christian McCaffrey and the run game uh, there. That will take some pressure off of uh, uh, Sam Darnold. Uh, but like I said, they still got Kittle. They still got Brandon Ayuk uh, and, and other weapons on that offensive side for the uh, 49ers. And, um, you know, I, I, I think that, um, yeah, I'm going to have to be methodical with my points because I, I like the like all of the picks that I've made so far. I like them all, but I'm not supremely confident in the fact that just about every one of these picks is going to be somewhere in that I think maybe the highest amount I might put on one of these picks, and it might just be out of necessity. Well, actually, I take that back. When I talk about the Lions and the uh, Raiders, that one's going to be pretty high. But these first five, we're at number four right now with Cincinnati and San Francisco. The next one we talk about is the Bears and the Chargers. Each one of these five games, Minnesota, Green Bay, Jets, Giants, Jags, Steelers, Cincinnati, San Francisco, Chicago, Chargers. I think the highest I'll put on any one of these games will be like six points. And that basically because I can't put one point on them all because that's how confident I am in these picks. Like I, I like, I'm picking the 49ers, but that was probably going to be in the maybe three or four uh, point range, which is going to make things really interesting for the games, for the 10 games in the all out blitz. I'm going to have to go heavy on a lot of them that I probably wouldn't normally do that. But uh, yeah, bears chargers, either way I go there, it's going to be low on the confidence uh, points, but um you know, give me the 49ers in this one. Uh, they got to bounce back, and I think the Bengals are the right team to be facing uh, at this point, even though the, the Bengals are kind of trending up, having won two straight, having won three out of four. They're coming off the bye, so they're the fresher team, uh, if you will. The 49ers need one bad, and they need this one. It's at home. So, uh, you know, like I said, I'm not putting a ton of points on it, but, uh, you know, they're on the bye after this one. So it's like they've got the they've got the week off next week in week nine. So they're gonna want to go on into that bye with a uh with a positive spin and uh get this win over the Bengals on Sunday. <laughs> Bears and Chargers Sunday night football. Somehow this one did not get flexed out, and I think uh the fact that it's LA versus Chicago, probably a big reason why that uh, it didn't get flexed out with or without Justin Fields uh, playing quarterback for the Bears. He's still looking doubtful. So for the most part, everyone is planning on seeing Tyson Bagent take his second start uh, for the uh, for the Bears. And then the real question becomes, you know, will the uh, Chargers be able to force Tyson Bagent to beat them downfield because the blueprint to beat the Bears is to win inside the first 10 yards from the line of scrimmage because that's where the Bears lived on Sunday. Even in the passing game, I think the deepest throw Bagent made all week long or all game long against the Raiders was maybe 15 yards downfield. 
and then I think that was on a on a on a third down play where we we needed the yardage. Uh, otherwise, he number one he threw everything outside to the numbers, and it was always within a ten mile ten mile ten yard uh, radius to the line of scrimmage. So, if the if the Chargers can either a get to Tyson Bagent to to get him out of the I mean he's not exactly he's not Justin Fields but he's not useless outside the pocket he did that he used his legs very effectively against the Raiders when he had to he's also very good at moving around in the pocket uh, he seems very poised very cool under fire uh, as well so he doesn't seem someone that is prone to panic and make a stupid mistake because he's under pressure um, that being said he's going to have guys like Bosa and Khalil Mack uh, coming after him, uh, coming off of the edges uh, and an offensive line that, um, you know, had its troubles with Max Crosby. Our right tackle, Darnell Wright, plays, basically played with one arm against the Raiders on Sunday. That, that left arm, that left, he had suffered a shoulder injury at one point. I don't know if he did that against the, the Vikings or if, it's, if it happened in practice, but um, he basically played with one arm. He was barely using that left arm at all on Sunday and still play like a boss for the most part, but had his issues at times with, uh, with Max Crosby as, as just about every offensive tackle in the league does. But, um, you know, it's different than it would be with the Raiders. Cause with the Raiders, even though Tyree Wilson, he's not Max Crosby yet. So if it wasn't Max Crosby, then you really probably weren't facing the same kind of pressure you were, um, with the uh, Chargers, if it's not Khalil Mack, it's going to be Joey Bosa. You don't really get a playoff. You're playing against one of the better pass rushers in the league, no matter what. So hopefully that shoulder is getting better uh, for him. Uh, Larry Borum had his issues last week with uh, with Max Crosby as well because they like to move him uh, around. So, But if the Chargers can, can manage to clog up, say, that first 10 yards, of the field to force the bears to try to get the ball downfield. Um, and I say probably don't really even need to do that. If you more so instead of trying to go down the sidelines and play outside, outside the hashes, outside the numbers, attack the middle of the field. It's like, I'm a, I'm like a goddamn broken record talking about this. I would like to see them attack the middle of the field, you know, because I've seen it over and over again, especially when the bears run those stupid, uh, quick screens to the outside. You've got the intended receiver and one other receiver out there. The ball gets thrown out there, and by the time he catches the ball and turns to make his first step, there are four defenders to go against that one guy blocking. The one guy that isn't DJ Moore or Tyler or Darnell Mooney, who caught the quick screen, to turn around and have four defenders to be blocked by one guy. And maybe an offensive lineman can get out there. Uh, at the last minute or, and maybe clean some things up, but uh, you got to do some surviving first if you're going to live long enough for that old lineman to get out there and make a, a difference. It's like attack the middle of, we have Cole Komet. We have Robert Tunyon. We're not using him at all. Like at this point, I don't know why the Bears signed him. I don't know why the Bears signed him because they're not using him. Not because he isn't good enough. I don't think that's money wasted at all. We're just not using Robert Tunyon the way the Packers did. They actually threw him the ball. You know, Robert Tunyon was Aaron Rodgers' favorite red zone target uh, in 2020 before he hurt his knee. 
And I think he hurt his knee in 2021. But in 2020, he had like 11 touchdown catches, most of which were inside the red zone. So, yeah, let's use those guys. How about we, instead of having the running back constantly dropping out into the flat, maybe run some of those corner you know, arrow routes where he slants back to the inside behind the defensive line in front of the linebackers and let them turn around into a wide open field and get these guys an open field. Cause especially if we get Roshan Johnson back this week, uh, Deontay Foreman, uh, and even, uh, Darrington Evans, if you get them out into the open field, these guys seem like very dangerous runners, especially Roshan. I cannot wait to see what he would do as kind of like the lead back. Cause he's been out there with Khalil and Khalil gets the majority of the carries. If Roshan Johnson's number two on the depth chart, so he would be the first guy uh, carrying the ball. I would love to see what would happen if uh, Roshan got 20 carries on Sunday against the Chargers. But that being said, I very much want the Bears to stick to the game plan that they used against the Chargers. Hell, I want them to use that when Justin Fields comes back. We are a good running team, especially the last few weeks. We are solid as far as running the football. Well, no matter who's back there, apparently, because Darrington Evans and uh, Deontay Foreman would be number three and number four on the depth chart. Darrington Evans just won the FedEx Ground Player of the Week uh, award for his two touchdown runs and one touchdown catch against the uh, the Raiders. Ran for 89 yards against the uh, Raiders on Sunday. Had an outstanding game. And that guy's third. He was inactive for five weeks. You know, this is what it looks like when, when our third best running back has the ball in his hands. And we, we go out there and we give it to Roshan for 15 or 20 uh, snaps this past Sunday. And then, God forbid, what happens when we get Khalil Herbert back? Stick with the run. We have the talent. The offensive line, is its weakness is pass blocking. So let's run the ball more, set up play action. Then we can turn fields into a uh, pocket passer because because we run the ball so effectively – Linebackers have to respect the fake, and that gives the receivers time to get to the, get downfield. Uh, you know, our interior receivers, like our slot guys and our tight ends, could run up the middle of the field, get behind those guys. Now you really got something, and then God forbid if Justin Fields has to run, how dangerous he is uh, with his legs. The offense that we ran against the Raiders, that's the offense I want to see regardless of who our quarterback is. And I don't know if that's going to happen. But at the very least, if they're trying to protect Tyson Bajant and dumb things down for him or make it simple for him, then by all means, run it until the, the Chargers figure out how to stop it, period. If they can't stop it and we can dink and dunk our way down the field six to eight yards at a time in the passing game, getting five, six yards a carry uh, in the running game, chewing up eight minutes a drive because it took us 15 plays to go 70 yards and score a touchdown, it ain't sexy. It ain't pretty. You're not going to gain a lot of style points for it, but you're getting points on the board and you're winning football games. No one's going to care. No one's going to care. So, and the Chargers have lost two straight and their offense isn't as explosive as it was earlier in the season. You know, earlier on in the year, they were having these 30-point blowout games. You know, it's 34 points against the Dolphins, 24 uh, against the Titans, 28 uh, against the Vikings, 24 against the Raiders. But the last two weeks, the Cowboys held them to 17. The Chiefs held them to 17. They lost both of those uh, games. Granted, the Cowboys and the Chiefs are very good uh, on defense, 
the Bears are trending up on the defensive side. Three weeks ago when they beat the uh, Commanders, they held the Commanders to 20 points, and that was their best defensive output in 15 games. Because that 14-game losing streak they were on, they allowed at least 25 points a game in those 14 games. And in the last three, they've allowed 20, 12, and 12 on the defensive side. So the defense is trending up. As I mentioned earlier, Matty Berflus is really getting his feet underneath him as far as being our defensive play caller and scheming our guys in the posi- the best position to succeed. You know, if we had a pass rusher like a like a Khalil Mack or uh, you know a, a TJ Watt or God forbid even a Max Crosby, we'd really have something special uh, on defense. If we had that guy that was a threat to get to the quarterback on every play. We'd really have something here, but uh, even without it, where we've only we've only allowed like I think we're allowing less than forty yards a game on the ground, which would come very helpful uh, against the guy like Austin Eckler uh, for the uh, for the Chargers. You know, and like Herbert, he's definitely one of the better pure passers uh, in the league. And even without Mike Williams, who lost, who they lost with an ACL earlier in the season, Eckler is a devastating. He reminds me a lot of Matt Forte. Coming out of the backfield, being as, as effective he is as a pass catcher, uh, they have um, Garrett, the tight end. They still have uh, Keenan Allen. They still have uh, Quentin Johnston, their first round pick uh, this year. So they've got plenty uh, to go around. But kind of like the Saints and, and and teams of that ilk, they've been struggling these last two weeks to get it done on the defensive side or on the offensive side, and especially in the second half. So that's what's going to be most important for the Bears in this one is to slow and or stop the Chargers early because the last two games especially, or the last three games, because the Raiders, they were up 24-7 to at halftime and got shut out in the second half and had to hold on to beat the Raiders three weeks ago. Then, this, then last week against the Cowboys, I think they scored seven points in the second half, and then against the Chiefs, they went scoreless in the second half. So if you can minimize what the Chargers are able to do in the first half, odds are you're going to be fine in the second half. So for the Bears, it's just about being efficient and at the very least doing what they did against the Raiders. Take what the offense gives you. Don't try to get fancy. Don't try to catch the defense with their pants down or anything like that. Hand the ball off. Run everything off of the running game. Play action, rollouts, what have you. And I think the Bears will be fine. Like right now, I like the Bears more than I like the Chargers. You know, a lot of that is my bias. But at the same time, I just think that uh, with the way the defense is playing for the Bears and whether it's Bajan or Fields, if we run an offense, anything like the one that we ran against the Raiders, that's going to be a good recipe uh, for the Bears. So I may only put like two points on it, but give me the Bears on Sunday. And finally, in our pick six, we have the Lions hosting the Raiders on Monday night football. And if you remember, the last time the Lions lost the football game was week two to the Seattle Seahawks. And that one kind of left a sour taste in their mouth because, number one, the touchdown that won the game for Seattle, uh, Aiden Hutchinson got got held and the the call didn't get made. So uh, the Lions would have liked that one back. And... um, you know, they kind of, I think they gave up a lead for it to go into overtime uh, and what have you. They came out the next week against the Falcons and absolutely just lambasted the Falcons. The score was only 20-6, to six, but the Falcons were a team 
that was averaging about 25 points a game coming into that one uh, against the Lions, and then getting and B. John Robinson was on pace to be the, you know, to be the greatest of all time after his first two games uh, in Atlanta has been hardly heard from starting with that game uh, against the Lions uh, in week number three. So if that's how they respond to barely losing in overtime, I would hate to see what the Lions are going to do to the Raiders on Monday night after getting embarrassed by the Ravens on the road uh, last weekend. I mean, uh, if you guys heard me talk about this game uh, on the uh, on the review episode the other day, it was 28 to nothing before the Lions got their first first down of the game. I think there were seven minutes left in the first half before the Lions got their first first down on their fourth offensive drive. Because the first seven drives of the game, Baltimore, touchdown, Lions, three and out. Baltimore, touchdown, Lions, three and out. Baltimore, touchdown, Lions, three and out. Baltimore, touchdown, and then the Lions had seven plays before they went out on a turnover on downs that included their very first first down uh, of the game. So it was one of those games that you can also kind of easily write off. One that probably, yeah, it sucks that you got beat like that, but the game wasn't the game was in hand way early on. Like midway through the second quarter, it's already twenty-eight to nothing. The odds of you being able to come back in a game like that are slim to none. And as someone who has suffered losses on on both on both extremes, as a matter of fact, my uh, my high school uh, playoff career. My junior and senior year ended on on opposite extremes. My junior year, we were a game away from the state championship. We were playing for the right to go to state. And at halftime, it was, I think, 22 to 15. We're only down by a touchdown. They shut us out in the second half and ran us off our own field. 45 to 15 was the final score there. It sucked watching that clock tick away, but it was, and as much as it hurt, especially to end a season, we had been on a 10-game winning streak. We were being talked about as one of the best teams in the state. A lot of people were, you know, really excited about that team. We had a, I think we had like six or seven D1 prospects uh, on that team. And to lose like that, it sucked. But in the end, you can, it's like, you know what, A, it wasn't our day. They were better on us. You know, obviously it just wasn't meant to be. Fast forward to my senior year, we're in the second round against a conference rival, playing them for the second time. They'd beat us at homecoming the, uh, earlier in the season. This time we're at their place, second round of the playoffs. Um, we need a touchdown and a two-point conversion to send this thing to overtime. We managed to score the touchdown. It was 27-25, to 25, and we ran a sweep to the, to the outside uh, for the two-point play, and they met my guy at the goal line. They got him right at the goal line. It, to me, from my angle, it looked like my guy scored. They said that they held. We lose the game. That one I still lose sleep over because, you know, w- number one, we lost on the final play of the game. You know, we lost on that two-point play, and we had four turnovers in that game and still still had a chance to win. So it was like you sit back and you think about what you could have done differently. Oh, and the reason that we needed a two-point conversion in that one is that we got two extra points blocked, which really pissed me off because I was the short snapper. So that meant that guys were jumping over my back to block kicks because, you know, we weren't getting it done uh, in blocking. We got two extra points blocked in that game. 
That's why we needed a two-point play at the end to uh, to tie it and send it into overtime. So there's a lot that happened there where it was just like, oh, man, you know. So it's like that overtime loss to the to the Seahawks probably bothers them more than that game against the Ravens as far as, like, losing sleep. Because it's not like they ever really had a chance against Baltimore once the game got started. Because Baltimore went right down the field, scored a touchdown. Got the ball back right down the field, scored another touchdown. And it wasn't like it was mistake-laden or there was a bunch of uh, penalties or whatever that were helping the Ravens out. The Ravens just put their foot on their throat and didn't let up uh, at all. So as much as it sucks to get take a beating like that, it's a lot easier to take than, in my opinion, and I've, I've debated people for life ever since I went through those two games in high school. I will take that debate to my grave. It's like I would much rather lose in hindsight. In hindsight, I would much rather lose 45 to nothing than 27 to 25 on the last play of the game. Because in a game that close, if you could take any one mistake back, you probably win the game. When you lose 45 to nothing, nothing went right, so there was nothing you could have done, nothing that you could have done. So, yeah, I will debate that until my last breath that, uh, yeah, it probably stings that the Lions, a 5-1 and one team, a team being talked about as possibly being one of the best the NFL has to offer right now, uh, going out there and getting handled like that. That one probably sucks. But I bet that most players didn't lose a wink of sleep over it the way that they did that loss to the Seahawks two weeks ago. So imagine the vengeance that they showed against Atlanta after, after losing that overtime game to the Seahawks. Imagine the vengeance they're going to show the Raiders to redeem themselves, to prove that they deserve to be in this discussion as one of the best teams uh, in the league. And the Raiders, on the other hand, I don't know the situation with Garoppolo, if he'll be back, or even if... Uh, I don't know if McDaniel would make the mistake of letting Hoyer start over O'Connell again uh, this week. So, um, you know, there's not really a whole lot to talk about. I mean, the Raiders got pounded uh, by the Bears on Sunday, and I don't think that their luck is going to turn when they're in Detroit uh, on Monday night. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be a crazy atmosphere in Detroit. The Lions, because of the way that they've played over the last several years, don't get many opportunities like this to be on national TV. And you're going that that crowd is going to be there. It's going to be loud, and uh, I think the, the, the Detroit wins this one easily. So, whereas in the other five pick six games, I'm teetering. I'm going to have low confidence points on that one. I'm going to go heavy on Detroit. I don't know how heavy, but it'll be up there. Digital, double double digit points in confidence for the Lions to win on Sunday for sure. So that's going to do it for the pick six guys. Let's go ahead and wrap this thing up like we do with all of our preview episodes with the Week 8 All Out Blitz. Week 8 All Out Blitz. We start in Buffalo on Thursday night football. Both teams are coming off a divisional loss that cost them first place. Buffalo is the stronger of the two teams, and Tampa has blown two big games against top teams and. uh in Philly, and uh, I'm forgetting the other one off the top of my head. It doesn't matter. I'm picking the Bills to beat Tampa Bay on Sunday. Thursday. Thursday. Rams at Dallas. Both teams have been rotating wins and losses in their last five weeks. Which one of these teams will break the pattern? 
I'm going with the Cowboys who uh, who lost their who won their last one. Instead of losing, they're going to win and beat the Rams on Sunday. Atlanta at Tennessee. The newly minted first place Falcons are on the road with hopes on holding on to that first place. The Titans are wildly inconsistent and will be without Ryan Tannehill. It will be Will Levis. I think they're leaning towards starting. Uh, either way, I like the Falcons over the Titans on Sunday. New Orleans at Indianapolis. Both teams are coming off games where they lost on the last play of the game. The Saints have the better defense, but that didn't matter to Minshew and the Colts against Cleveland last week. Give me the Colts over the Saints. My, uh, New England at Miami. The Dolphins lost their showdown with the Eagles on Sunday night football and are looking to complete the season sweep of the Patriots. The Patriots got the better of Buffalo last week, snapping a four-game losing streak. So are the Patriots back? I don't think so. Give me the Dolphins. Philadelphia at Washington. Their first matchup was an overtime thriller where the Commanders came up just short. The Commanders have lost four of their last five and need this one before the season gets away from, from them. Sorry, Ron Rivera. I'm still going with the Eagles. Houston at Carolina. I don't think this is how the NFL wrote it up, but this will be the first Young versus Stroud matchup in Carolina. Texans looking to get above 500 for the first time since 2019, and I like them to do it. Give me the Texans. Cleveland at Seattle. The Browns barely scraped uh, by an Indy with a win on Sunday, while Seattle got back to winning with a win over the Arizona Cardinals. Can P.J. Walker pull the trifecta and get the Browns a third straight win? Not in Seattle. Give me the Seahawks. Kansas City at Denver. The Chiefs and Broncos running back only 17 days removed from their first matchup on Thursday Night Football in Week 6. I'm not expecting much to change with the Chiefs completing the season sweep over the Broncos. And finally, Baltimore at Arizona on paper. This is one of the more lopsided matchups of the week. The 5-2 Ravens, the 1-6 Cardinals. Arizona hasn't been as scrappy as they were in the first four weeks of the season, so the Ravens should get an easy win here. Give me the Ravens. Well, we flew right through that, didn't we? So there you have it, guys. There's your all-out blitz for week number eight, and that will do it for our preview of week number eight, all 16 matchups. And uh, uh, come on back tomorrow when myself and Dave Drogemeyer from Locked on Chargers will uh, give a complete breakdown of Bears Chargers for Sunday Night Football. What does he think of the Bears and how they're coming into this uh, game? Would he rather be facing Justin Fields than Tyson uh, Bajant? Uh, the Chargers are still are, you know, banged up again with a ton of injuries, and they've also had a lot of uh, inconsistent play uh, as well. We'll talk about Brandon Staley being the coach and Kellen Moore as the play caller and everything in between. So come back for that on Friday. We'll get you ready for Bears Chargers for week number eight. So that's going to do it for the week eight preview of the fourth phase. Until then, my name is Larry D, and we will see you next time. cars like these on auto trader 
New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.